This is The Ziggler Show, planet Earth's core source for the fuel for success, hope and inspiration. This is episode 443, and I have something special for you. We're going to hear 11 minutes of Zig Ziggler giving an overview of his personal story, which is profound. Then we'll be joined by a student of Zig's who had a very similar experience as, uh, as Zig's, as you'll hear. The question is, why did these guys overcome every reason to fail and what can that mean for us? But this is going to be different than what you're used to hearing on this topic. We're not going to give seven steps or five keys. This is a candid conversation that you are going to benefit from as well as myself. All right, here we go. what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, take as big a step as you can, but take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today is a brand new day, and it's yours. Hi, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller, your host of The Ziggler Show. Go now to Ziggler.com slash Christmas. Why? Great packages, huge savings, and get a gift for someone or yourself that actually matters, that will be remembered, used, and will inspire true performance. I mean, who does not need that? It's a no-lose, win-win. Ziggler.com slash Christmas. Hey, so today, I'm going to cue up a talk from Zig Ziglar where he gives his personal story. And, and why? Well, he starts off by just stating that he wants you to understand that for the most part, he understands. I mean, he's been where you are, where I am, but he doesn't point this out in order to, you know, admonish it and say, well, hey, so if I can do it, you can do it so much as, but just to give compassion and, and through that to help us have permission to go forth anyways and do what we want to do to succeed and overcome. Not that you need Zig's permission or anyone else's, but sometimes a prompt and a paradigm shift can help us give ourselves the permission that we've always needed. Also, though, the bigger issue is a person like Zig, big, ultra-poor family whose dad died young. He went to work at an incredibly early age. Why did he overcome? Not all his brothers and sisters did. Same circumstances, same loving mother, but uh, why? And I'll start by saying that I don't believe there's a cut and dried answer. That's not what we're aiming for in this show. It's a discussion that doesn't have to have a black and white ending. We can't boil down everything to seven steps or five keys, even though everyone and their brothers online trying to sell that to you. So we're just going to dig in raw and candid, and I'm going to do it with another guy who had some stark similarities to Zig's story. Uh, as you'll hear, Zig went to work at the age of eight milking cows and you know having to make money to help support his family. Well, our guest today went to work early too. Here's what he said, actually, when I asked him about it. He said, I had early morning barn duties before uh, we moved, and that was when I was five. I would roll hay bales to the chute, cut the strings, push the hay down. We always had calves that needed to be bottle fed. That was my job as well. Five years old, folks. Well, so who's the guest? Dan Miller. 
best-selling and renowned author of 48 Days to the Work You Love and other incredible books. Uh, Dave Ramsey's go-to guy for over two decades for career counsel. And most importantly, my dad. Uh, because as one negative iTunes review out of a hundred positive accused me of, of pimping my family. I don't want to let that guy down because uh, I am absolutely here to uh, pimp my family because I have a family of rock stars and I'm grateful for that. So here you go. Uh, after that premise, we're now going to listen to Zig and then dig in. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to share with you my own story. Now, the reason I share with you my story, is because, you see, I just happen to believe that for most of you, my story is your story. With three exceptions, you and I have walked in the same pair of shoes. The first difference would be this for some of you. I have never lost a mate or a child, either through death or divorce. I do not know how it would feel to have suffered that loss. I can say to you, I know how you feel. But the reality is, try as I might, I really cannot know. Because how could I know the depth of your love and your feeling for your loved one? Second thing that I would like to say that we might differ on is I have had somebody who loved me all of my life. It's true that my dad died when I was five years old. It's true that times were very tough, that six of us were too young to work. It's true that uh, money was short and a lot of other things. But my mother always had plenty of time for loving me and all of my brothers and sisters. My older brothers and sisters also loved me. When I got married, I was so lucky and so grateful that I had a mate who has always loved me. And I can safely say that she loves me more today than she ever has. And I love her more today than I ever have. I have four children. I'm safe in saying that each one of them loves me. I'm doubly fortunate in that my three sons-in-law and my daughter-in-law, they also love me. I have just been so blessed in that area. The third area that we might differ on or might not walk the same pair of shoes as this. I've always been healthy. I've never had any emotional problems. I have never had any serious physical problems. And I can say to you, I know how you feel, but the reality is I really cannot. But as far as being discouraged, as far as being uncertain about what tomorrow is going to bring, as far as not having a clue as to what I was going to be doing or how I could handle any number of situations, as far as being broke, I have walked in every pair of shoes in this room today. So in so many ways, our story is the same. I was raised in that little town of Yazoo City, Mississippi. I was raised there during the Depression, We survived after my dad's death. He died on Thursday. My baby sister died the following Tuesday. We had five milk cows and a big garden. I was milking cows before I was eight years old. And I know that some of you here today and some people who will be listening to this recorded series are city slickers. And you don't know a whole lot about cows. So just let me tell you something about cows. They don't give milk. (laughs) Now... 
I don't know what you can, uh, can do with that information, but, uh, but there it is. You use it as you see fit. As a youngster, I worked in the garden and did all the other things that my brothers and sisters did. I was very small for my age. And in those days, uh, you know, we didn't have poor self-images. In uh, those days, it was low self-esteem or more appropriately, inferiority complexes. And one of the manifestations of a poor self-image is uh, that you're impatient, you cannot solve problems. I mean, you got to get on with it. For example, when I disagreed with somebody, if we could not solve it in 10 seconds or less, I would just rear back and bust them one. And I never discriminated. Whether they were bigger or smaller, whether they were black or white or anything in between, I would just bust them one. Now, a Mexican boy broke me of that habit. <laughs> I have never been as glad in my life to see Miss Street, my third grade teacher, come to the rescue. But in all fairness to me, I got to tell you, I about scared that poor guy half to death. I mean, he thought he'd kill me. Now, I learned a lesson there. As a youngster, I definitely had a very strong inferiority complex. I went to work in a grocery store before I entered the fifth grade on Monday. I was just nine years old. I worked every afternoon after school and all day Saturday. I was a teller in a grocery store. Now, I'm not trying to impress you with the title. That just meant I told people to move while I swept. I mean, I was not in management is, uh, is what I am getting at. In those days, I made 20 cents for working from 3.20 in the afternoon till 7 o'clock at night. I earned 75 cents from working from 7 o'clock in the morning till 11.30 on Friday night. I earned a grand total $1.75 a week working all of those hours. I know what it is to need a dollar and want a dollar. But I learned an awful lot of things. For example, my boss was a former school teacher. And when I would drop a grammatical boo-boo, uh, right there, he would always correct me. My father died and said when I was five, he became a surrogate father. Every Wednesday afternoon, he had a big farm. He used to take me out to the farm and uh, let me watch him as he talked with the laborers who were farming out there. He showed me by example an awful lot of things. I remember vividly one day when a man came in with some kind of a promotional idea and I sat there, you know, as a 10-year-old listening to it and boy, it sure sounded good to me. Uh, my boss never even considered it. And when the guy left, I said, Mr. Anderson, why didn't you go along with that idea? And he said, well, he said, you know, I don't know a whole lot about what he is talking about. But he said, I learned a long time ago that you can't make a good deal with a bad guy. If his word is not his bond, you better walk away. I found that to be true all of my life, that you can't make a good deal with a bad guy. When I was 12 years old, I added a paper route to my everyday activities. On Tuesday and Friday night, I delivered the Yazoo City, Mississippi Herald. One night a week, I collected for that herald. I was a busy guy. 
When I entered my 12th grade, I moved next door. The man who'd been running the butcher shop there in Yazoo City at that little Piggly Wiggly store was named Walton Haining, and he wanted me to come next door and uh, work with him in the butcher shop. I worked with him that last year. I got in the uh, Naval Air Corps, and incidentally, there's nothing that's ever happened to me that gave me as much confidence and boosted my image as much as getting in because I got in toward the tail end of the war and very few were making it in. I'd always considered myself below average and yet for some reason I wanted to fly those airplanes so badly that I applied so I could get in. And when I made it, you cannot begin to know what that did to my image. I was to report for duty on July the 1st, 1944. The night before I was to leave, Mr. Haining, the owner of that uh, meat market, took me aside and he said, Zig, the war is winding down. I know you'll be back in a couple of years. I'd like for you to work for me when you get back. I said, well, Mr. Haining, I don't think I'd be interested in that. And he said, well, why not? And I said, well, there's just no money in a grocery store. He pulled out his tax returns from the year before. He said, let me show you something, Zig. He said, last year, after all taxes, I earned $5,117 for the year. Now, folks, as we approach the 21st century, that sure doesn't sound like a whole lot of money for a year. But that was $100 a week that he had earned. And let me tell you what you could do in 1944. You could buy three pounds of good bacon for 27 cents. You could buy a 25-pound sack of good flour for 55 cents. I bought a little jacket for 87 cents. I'm here to tell you that $100 a week in 1944 was a ton of money. He said, if you will come back and work for me two years, I'll teach you everything you need to know about running a market. I will help you get your own location in another store. I'll help you get your credit established and you can own your own business. Man alive, I couldn't wait. The next day, I was so excited. I was going to go off to war. I was going to get that thing over with. I was going to come back. I was going to work for Mr. Hayden in two years. I was going to get my own market and I was going to earn me $5,117 in a single year. I was motivated. When I got in the service... On July the 1st, on September the 15th, 1944, 9.06 p.m. at the YWCA on State Street in Jackson, Mississippi, I walked in to the YWCA for the first and only time I ever went there and standing over by the Nickelodeon, how many of you know what a Nickelodeon is? A record player was this prettiest little brown-haired, uh, auburn-haired girl I'd ever seen in my life. Man alive, did I ever fall for her. I went over to her, and with an enormous amount of originality, I said, Hi. <laughs> with equal originality, she responded, Hi. And the courtship was on. Now, I got to confess to you, when I first saw her, you know what I really wanted to do? I wanted to walk over and I wanted to grab her and I wanted to hug her and I wanted to start kissing on her right then. And that's what I wanted to do. I got to tell you. But if I had, I would have skipped too many steps. And I can guarantee you, she would not have been my wife for the last 46 years. Now, I make that point for this reason in life. There are a lot of steps, folks, and you've got to take the steps. 
That's the reason in this series we diagram a lot of steps that you take. It is not an overnight thing. And if you've been going down one path for many, many years, don't expect to instantly reverse the whole thing. But you one step at a time can do it. You can eat an elephant a bite at a time. You can accomplish some amazing things if we build the right foundation and take the right step. Well, folks, obviously that is not all of Zig's story. It's a 10,000-foot view of some of his, his early and later years. If you want to hear more please get his autobiography. It's literally my favorite book from Zig, and it's called Zig, the Autobiography of Zig Ziglar. Uh, You can go to Ziglar.com and go to the online store and then hit books, and you will find it there. It's actually not even available on Amazon right now. I think there's uh, some audio versions there. You can get it in Audible, uh, of course, but you can get the book, the hardcover, I believe it is, at Ziggler.com. But, uh, and again, I would really advise you, uh, encourage you to do it. It's, it's incredibly impacting. And you just heard just a, a snippet of an overview, but we're here to dig into the big issues that he does cover. Why did he overcome? Why do some in the same circumstances overcome? And many more though are overcome. So joining me now is Dan Miller, author, speaker, renowned life coach, and my dad, And I really, when I listened to the story, I thought, man, that's the guy who I want to talk through this. He relates a lot. He's the guy who introduced me and taught me in Ziegler and in those principles. And uh, he works with so many people, has worked with thousands as they pursue their own desires and progress and achievement. And so this is an issue that's very acute to him. And I'll preface the show now with, uh, we're not, again, handing you the keys to the answer. I mean, this is a candid conversation discussing this foundational issue of success. So here I bring you Dan Miller. Well, hey, Father, thanks as always for being here with me. It's always a blast to do these with you. Well, absolutely. It's funny to hear you call me Father. (laughs) I know. I don't know why that came out. Sometimes the kids will do that with me. Hey, Father, when they're trying to get my attention. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, hey, I yeah. As soon as I start, I heard this message. I thought, man, I want to talk to you. I want to talk with you about this. Um, and so I, let's just let's just dive off. I mean, starting with Zig's story. I mean, he was the tenth of twelve children. Dad died when he was five years old during the depression. Milking cows, you know, before he's eight years old, uh, working to provide a penny to the family. So you uh, have such a similar story. One of five kids on a farm. And uh, when I asked you about this, you said, yeah, I had the early morning barn duties before we moved to Ohio. That was when I was five. I'd roll hay hay bales down the chute, cut the strings, push the hay down. We always had calves that needed to be bottle fed. And that was my job as well. And if we, so if I took right there, if I took you, took Zig side by side, we could immediately deduce, you know, and what stats have proven that uh, a lot of leaders come from hardship. They, they overcame, but uh, I, that also belies the, the, you know, the other side that for most who have hardship, hardship, they're, they're overcome by it. So saying, you know, well, hardship grows strength. Well, okay. I mean, that can be true maybe. Um, but does it most of the time? Uh, what do you think? You can make a case for either way. Uh-huh. There's a, I did a audio program with Nightingale Conant a couple years ago. And on that, there are people like, you know, Dennis Waitley, and uh, Brian Tracy, Tony Robbins, me. There were 25 of their best-selling authors. And Tony Robbins tells a story about Earl Nightingale, who had a friend 
who, because of some bad decisions, ended up robbing a grocery store. And in the melee that was unexpected, he actually pulled the trigger and killed a guy. So he ended up in prison. Well, he stayed friends with the guy, and the guy had two sons. And so he thought, you know, after some years had passed, he'd check in on the sons. Well, he did. They were both in their mid-30s. One was had gotten his MBA, was a highly respected financial advisor, had three kids, beautiful wife, and really doing well. Uh, The other one had followed a path much like his dad, where he had gotten into drug use, robbed a little convenience store, didn't kill anybody, but ended up in prison for armed robbery as well. And he asked both boys, not together and without them knowing the question, but he asked them the same question, how do you explain how your life has turned out? And both of them, without hesitation, said, with a father like I had, how else could it have turned out? One saw the example of the father as a bad example and certainly a clear example of what not to do. The other used it as an excuse for that's what I saw, so that's what I did. I mean, we, we can go down that road and look at family after family after family and try to explain what made the difference. I wish we could understand it clearly, package that, and just have a recipe for people. I don't know. Life just kind of unfolds, and it's a whole lot of little things that I think make those determinants. Now, I you, you just said that Zig was 10th of 12 children. I don't know anything about any of his siblings. It's a very unusual name. You would think it would be easy to rise to prominence with that name, especially with the success that Zig had. I don't know what any of the rest of them did. Why weren't they as successful as Zig? I don't know. Yeah, Hard to put a finger on it. Well, <laughs> well, there you go. There's the end of the show. Well, well, no, 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 no. I, I, I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of opinions. Oh, I know. Opinions. But, but that is, but that is it. I mean, we talked about that and that that's the core question then that I was grappling with. I thought, let's, you know, let's talk about it because I don't have a black and white answer on this. Okay. Why did the one, uh, overcome? Why was the other, uh, why was the other overcome by it? And, uh, that's why I brought you here. You're supposed to give us the seven steps and the five keys. Hey, I'm going to, okay, I'm going go, to do it. I, I, not too long ago, I talked to a guy who was in the landscaping business here where I live, Franklin, Tennessee, just South of Nashville. And he told me that he was headed to the courthouse. He was going to file bankruptcy, you know, People don't pay. People aren't happy with what you do. You know, there's too many competitors. The economy is in the tank. You know, we we don't know how this political thing is going to sort out the whole thing. Later that afternoon, I talked to Noe, who has been our landscape guy for 16 years now. Talked to him, and he explained to me the multiple businesses that he's doing under his landscaping umbrella. You know, he does gazebos. He does stonework. Um... He does all kinds of creative things. And he was telling me, you know, he just raised his prices 10%, didn't lose a single customer. He's got a customer that wants to build a two-story building on his property. The guy's in a construction business. He wants to build the building in lieu of ongoing advance payment, in essence, for landscaping work that Noah will do with him. And he's like, you know, business is so great, I can't get my iron pill. Here we are, same environment, same exact geographic location, same customer base, one's going bankrupt and one the business is skyrocketing. Now, in terms of going back to, you know, my own upbringing, you know, milk and cows, I don't think milk and cows was a common ingredient. (laughs) No, it's not a dairy uh, issue. (laughs) Not a dairy issue. Knowing how to milk cows by hand. That is something. uh, I saw a comedy sketch recently 
where um, one of the late night hosts, Jimmy Fallon, or somebody was showing him. Oh, Blake Shelton, the country music guy, was showing him how to milk cow by hand. It was pretty hilarious. Um, but it's a it's a real art and one that everybody ought to experience. I remember it. But somehow in that environment, when I was about 13 years old, I got a hold of that little 33 and a third RPM audio vinyl that was the strangest secret. Mm-hmm. Earl Nightingale talking about we become what we think about. And I would play that night after night after night, had it hidden up in my room. Wouldn't have been something that would have been a welcome kind of philosophy in our household. My parents were very strict legalistic in their theology, and it wouldn't have been welcomed, this idea of changing your destiny by changing what you think about and being in control rather than just submitting to the life God gave you. I mean, that was what I was raised with. You know, you just dealt your hand. You just try not to screw up too bad here, and then someday we'll get to heaven and things will be better. But I saw this opportunity. You mean I really can change my destiny? I can have more, go more, be more, do more by changing what goes into my mind? That became a real foundational principle for me at 13 years old and remains so today. There were things like that that made me believe more was possible. Oh, okay. Can I, can I butt in right yeah. there? Cause my, because then my first thought is, okay, why— and I feel like this is going to be the question. I'm going to title this show, the, the why show. Uh, why, why did you have that desire? I mean, why did you have, where did that, you know, this is a chicken or the egg question, but where did that germinate from? Why did you have that desire when maybe, uh, you know, others in a similar circumstance, even your, you know, some of your siblings did not. I went to a, a small school in Johnsville, Ohio. There were 32 kids in my classroom, I went back for the 40th high school reunion. There were only two kids in that class that ever moved away from that little town, me and one girl. The rest of them stayed there. So even in, in outside of my family unit, people in that town and that environment didn't see possibilities beyond what was right there. And believe me, there wasn't much in the way of possibilities right there. I, as a little kid, would dream about being other places. I idolized our family doctor who would show up at our house driving his big, nice car in a nice suit. And I thought, okay, he's a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor because it'll give me a lifestyle that is different from what I'm experiencing right in front of my own two eyes here. Mm -hmm. I always thought like that. We didn't have TV or radio in our home. It drove me to books. And I was drawn like a magnet to the Horatio Alger kind of stories, rags to riches stories, you know, the Zig Ziglar kind of stories, you know, rags to riches. Those were the things that got my attention. And so I started reading those things. And the more I read them, the more I imagined myself in a world like that. I think a part of it is, is how we're wired. I think we are wired differently. But with me, I had this intrigue. And also not only an intrigue, but I had an insatiable belief that my life could be dramatically different than what I was seeing there. I would cut pictures out of magazines of fancy cars and houses, things that I, and it wasn't just a materialistic kind of thing. That's never been the driving factor for me, but it's to be able to experience life in new ways with people that I hadn't met before, seeing places that I hadn't seen before. I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm an insatiable reader today to 
continue to open my eyes. The the mentors that I had, I'm a big believer in the mastermind principle. Well, initially, I mean, I'm a poor little farm kid. Nobody's going to invite me into their mastermind or spend time with me. But I had virtual mentors Mm -hmm. because I had access to books and then to audio cassettes back in those days. And I was a big customer of those. I've never been a golfer. You know, I don't fish, hunt, all those things that a lot of guys do. My money would go into books and audio cassettes, even as a teenager. Mm-hmm. So, so in that, I think, you know, it has me thinking on the DNA of desire to some degree. You, you, you talked about, uh, that sounds like a good book title, the DNA of desire. Uh, it is. All right. We'll do that together. And, but then, and you talked about, you were just wired differently, but as people listen to this and are trying to motivate themselves, inspire themselves to do the right things, to, to have the right habits and take the right actions that, so regardless of that, that, that DNA of desire, how you're wired, it does feel like, I mean, ultimately it's whether you look right or whether you look left and it's going to dictate the choices that you make, the actions that you take. Because you weren't wired. I wonder if that's why people love these superhero movies, because they wish that they were just born wired for this greatness. They had, or they have the chemical explosion and they come out of it with superhuman tendencies. I mean, you and Zig and these others, you were born the same with less resources, less possibilities, as you said. And yet, for whatever reason, you chose a way of more, a way of desire. Okay. So the, 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 the topic that comes that I come to from that dad is I'm just thinking about a, uh, an, uh, a victim mentality or a, I don't even know what's the opposite of a, a victim. What, what's the term you would use? Well, Victor winner. Victor, okay. Okay. The, the, don't be a even, whiner, be a winner. Okay. Well, so that, so you talked about, okay, the, the way, um, no, you said, um, you said, uh, submitting to the life that God gave you. So go back to your story that Tony Robbins talked about to, uh, guys. And I think, wouldn't they both say, yeah, I submitted to the life God gave me. And so I saw what my dad did and I'm not going to go to that way. I, so I, I had to go the other way. And the other guy said, I submitted to the life God gave me. My dad did that. I went the same direction. Uh, one of them was a victim of it. One of them, or, or are they both victims? I don't, uh, I don't no, know. No, I, I would clearly see that as one was a victim. One chose not to be a victim. Okay. And that, that is a critical point. If we see ourselves as victims, mm-hmm. then we really have our hands tied. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people right now that are hoping that the government is going to fix all their problems. That's ridiculous. The government isn't going to do anything about your problems. You know, you're the president of your own life. You can choose to do whatever you want to. You know, you can look back five years and say, well, is your life better because of the person that was in the White House? Probably wasn't impacted at all. Mm. And you look forward five years, we can know pretty clearly what your life is going to look like. You know, I tell people I can, I can predict what your life is going to be like real easily. All I have to do is watch your actions and listen to your words. Mm-hmm. I know where your life is going. It's a real predictable path. Mm-hmm. So if we want to break a particular path that we're on or break a family cycle, I think we can choose to do that. We can look at what are the actions and the words being said that are led to the results you're now seeing. And if you want to change, change your actions, change your words, and you can change the direction of your life. 
Okay, so that that's you just hit right on uh, the ending of the Zig uh, clip uh, that we just did, where he talks about those steps. And uh, folks, if you if you remember hearing it just a moment ago, so he talked about seeing his wife Jean, the redhead, for the first time, and that he was smitten right off the bat, and he was ready to go over and just hug her and kiss her, and and uh, he said, "But I couldn't do that. I'd be skipping some some, some steps to get to that point, and that we often." uh, skip steps. And I, that resonated with me, dad. I, I, I was, that was part of my story, your fault. I think, uh, that, uh, you know, well, no, but I saw my upbringing and what you gave me and what you and mom gave me and how you led me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have success quicker. I'm going to skip some of the steps from the normal people. And I'm just going to mm. rock it there. And I, and I tried and, and had that expectation to my own demise because, you know, maybe I could go faster, uh, because that, but you still have to do the steps. It's like working out. You, there's no magic pill that's going to help you gain 20, 20 pounds of muscle faster than, than someone else. Uh, for the most part, naturally, at least, um, you've got to do, you've got to do the steps. And so mm-hmm. in that we come back to the daily habits and yeah, like what, just what you said, if you want to see uh, where somebody's going, oh, we do the same thing in the health and wellness industry that I'm working in. If I, you want to see your health, give me a food journal for the last week. I can pretty much tell you what's happening. Um, Absolutely. So then we come down to the, so desire or not DNA or not wiring or not, are we in a simplistic aspect? It's the daily habits. It's what you get up. It's the, uh, there's a song, you know, you want to know where you are. Is a song or a statement somebody made? uh, uh, You want to know? No, it was Frederick Buechner, uh, one of my favorite authors of all time. He Mm. said that you, you want to know where you're going, just watch where your feet take you. Um, Wow. Yeah. That's the cool thing is you can change the direction of your feet. You can change. And that's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'm so optimistic about this, which is part of how I'm wired. Mm-hmm. I've never seen myself as a victim. Even when I've had disastrous things happen to me, it was never a matter of pointing fingers. Do you banking changed or the government changed regular? You know, I got up the next morning and looked at the guy in the mirror and said, Hey dude, you get us into this. How are you going to get us out? Yeah. Well, that's a very optimistic beginning and that's what it is you know new beginnings are exciting and we can always have you know it's never too late for a new beginning but there are things that we have to do along the way these things we don't change our lives in a positive way by just hanging out and seeing what happens we know the the second law of thermodynamics is that things left to themselves tend to deteriorate you have a garden plot and don't do anything, it's not going to just stay the same. It's going to be overcome with weeds. It takes a lot of work to dig and to plant and then fertilize and water to get the good things to grow. Same thing is true in our lives. And a lot of people, without taking much initiative, their lives, not only do they maybe stay the same, but they tend to deteriorate. I mean, you see that in the health industry for Mm -hmm. sure. But on, on a larger scale, in every area of our life, I mean, you have a marriage if you aren't watering and nurturing that, it's not going to just stay the same. It's going to deteriorate. So it requires taking that initiative in any area of our life that we want to improve. Okay. So when we look at, so we're talking, we're talking to a specific demographic right now here on this podcast, just as you do with your 48 days uh, podcast, which folks, if you haven't uh, subscribed to that, please go to iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, if you look at his podcast, look at the Ziegler podcast and it says people who listen to this podcast, usually listen to this one. We're in each other's, uh, same podcast along with a lot of the guys that he just, uh, <laughs> talked about. Um, 
go do that. But so we're, but we're talking to a specific demographic. These are folks who have come to uh, cho- choosing a message of inspiration, of personal development, not just entertainment, not just mind candy. And so they have some knowledge. Um, we'd have to say that they have some desire as well. But as you talk and we hit on this topic, I still come back to that thought of a victim mindset or a personal responsibility mindset. And maybe if we can break that down a little bit, because right off the bat, dad, I would say, man, I am absolutely of the personal responsibility camp. I am not a victim. I know it. I won't accept it. And yet that would be a lie. You've got to give different, it seems like you've got to give different levels to that. Do I have some aspects of my life right now today where I am frustrated at the realities of my life? Uh, we've got a lot of children. They keep uh, keep getting more instead of less. I noticed um, that. Yeah, I don't know how that happens. Uh, and in the realities of life and so much opportunity, I feel so blessed. But then there's still time and time management. I mean, there are aspects where I absolutely am struggling with the realities and circumstances of my life. And so I would say if we had a spectrum on a victim scale, I'm on there somewhere. I, I'm on there. And I'm waking up in the morning going, what do I take the responsibility and the action uh, towards that will make things different than they are, uh, than they were the day before victim, personal responsibility. I mean, I, I don't know. Help me with that. You know, thinking on well, that spec, is that our daily quest? Oh yes, it is. That's a daily quest every single day. And that's okay. That can be exciting knowing the power that comes with that. But we do have to take that initiative. We do have to decide what is my day going to look like? We have to see in advance. I mean, most, most Americans look at their lives over their shoulder. They're looking in the rearview mirror what's already happened. Most have very little sense of direction, purpose, specificity for the future. And again, this is not just to turn everybody. I mean, some people aren't wired to really set goals like you and I are. I mean, I love the challenge of just setting goals. But for some people, I find that a good question for them as a coach, you know, I ask them, what interests you now? It's not, you know, how many more books you're going to sell, how many more clients you're going to get, how many courses you're going to create or whatever. It's what interests you now? Let's follow your interest at least. That can lead into defining what your passion is. We combine that with some talent and all of a sudden money starts to show up. I mean, that's still a reasonable path. So not everybody has to be that hard driving type A personality at all. But for anybody who wants an enjoyable, meaningful life, I mean, you see what happens, again, in in the health arena. You know, if you just take a sloppy approach, you're going to have a sloppy body. If you want to be fit so you can think creatively and really be productive, then you have to take the initiative in that area to do things. Now, one of the things that I think is important in this arena is I see a lot of people today who are accumulating knowledge. Mm -hmm. I mean, knowledge is everywhere. There's so much available to us. I mean, you can be in the poorest ghetto in Nairobi, Kenya, and with an iPhone, you have access to all the information in the world, essentially. Mm -hmm. So there's no lack of information. I have a client right now I'm working with. He's in our coaching mastery program. Great guy, you know, nice guy. He's been to seven conferences in 2016, seven conferences. He claims to have read 170 books, which I think is a little outrageous, but he does. And his business has not changed one iota. Mm. 
because all he's doing is accumulating information. We have to go from information to understanding to application. And a lot of people get stuck because we're so overwhelmed. There's so many things being offered out there. And we think, well, if I just take this one more course or get this one more book or go to this one more conference, I mean, those things are good. I enjoy doing those, but you've got to have a balance in how you're spending your time. There, there's a formula that I have people go through who are trying to position themselves as coaches or trying to build a business on the side. And I say, look, let's say that you have 15 hours that you can spend. You can't spend 15 hours accumulating information. Nothing will change. Six months will go by. You've been exactly the same spot. But if you have 15 hours, then I'm going to suggest that you spend three hours reading, studying, gathering new knowledge. Three hours. That's 20% of your 15 hours, five hours, creating content, you know, writing your new book, course, developing what your packages are going to be, services offered or whatever, four hours working directly with clients. I mean, right out of the gate, you ought to be working with customers. doesn't matter if you get a landscaping business. You can't just sit in your cubicle and plan it all the time. Get out there, get a couple lawns to mow, get started four hours with that, three hours directly on marketing efforts to build your brand and reputation. A lot of people shy away from that, but a lot of people get caught. They spend 15 hours a week reading books, going to conferences, listening to podcasts. Man, you can't just accumulate knowledge. And a lot of people get stuck there. They think they're trying to make their lives better, but they aren't moving beyond accumulating knowledge. Which feels like positive entertainment. Yeah. So on this, you said you led into this talking about, okay, that, you know, being a victim, having a personal responsibility that we have to decide when it comes down to that. Sometimes it feels like, can we, from a personal responsibility, can we get folks, can we, and, and in our ourselves, we have to accept responsibility, which on one side feels freeing that, wait, I get to, I get to have control. I get to have a say I have that, that can be freeing. And yet I know from experience with others and even to a personal degree, if, if I go too far on that, which I think I have sometimes dad and said, it's, it's, I have full responsibility. I accept it fully. It's all on me. Then you can feel alone as well, which we can get scriptural then get biblical then and say, well, no, that's, that's where your God in heaven is there. You're not alone. Is that, do you think that that's a, a, a roadblock for folks and accepting responsibility of, of that feeling, it, it's almost too overwhelming. It, it can be freeing, but that can be too overwhelming too, because that, that feels like it is alone. That's pretty, that's pretty heavy. Well, what you're implying, Kevin, is this beautiful balance that we can have in accepting that there is a God who has planned our life. We'll just go with that. And totally on the other side, just assuming that we have total responsibility for the way our lives turn out. I think that's a beautiful challenge. That's an ongoing balance. But I know which side I'm going to err on. I'm going to err on the personal responsibility side as well. You know, when I see somebody who hasn't checked the oil in their car in the last two years, all they do is put gas in it and drive it, and then the engine blows and they pull over the side of the road, well, it must be God's will. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's your own stinking fault because you didn't, Take care of the vehicle that maybe God allowed you to have. I mean, we can we can spiritualize our way into doing nothing and having lives that aren't fully utilized, where we aren't accomplishing much by saying, well, this just must be, you know, God's will. I'm not going to go there. And I love that beautiful tension of 
well, it's not a tension, but just the balance of seeing both sides of that equation. But re- accepting responsibility. When I get up in the morning, my goodness, it's my responsibility to get over here to my office, to open up my computer, to decide in advance what I'm going to do that day, and to make sure that it's done, to communicate with people, deliver what I said I was going to deliver. I mean, those things fall directly on my shoulder. And I think that is a freeing kind of thing to know that we can move the needle, that we can make things happen, that we can steward our talent well in that way. I love how you stated that as a beautiful challenge. I think you said it twice, beautiful balance, beautiful challenge uh, in that, that, that uh, paints it in a great and a great picture. And yeah, I, I love the opportunity to be responsible. Then I find out, you know, I'm, I'm fighting my flesh. I'm on a new workout regimen that requires me to get up earlier in the morning. And, uh, I don't appreciate that or I didn't though. I'm growing to appreciate that as I instill that habit in, but then I'm fighting my flesh and so much feels like that is that daily. Well, you said that earlier. Yeah. It's a daily challenge It's a daily effort to fight our flesh to do the things that get us towards what we want to or remain where we are, or do things that of course, you know, deteriorate, deteriorate where we're at. You know, a lot of it, and Zig was so good at, at this, at just changing the words. You know, it's not an op, it's not an alarm clock. You know what it is? Opportunity clock. You better believe it. It's an opportunity clock. So when I get up in the morning, I don't look at the things that I have on a list, you know, my to-do list. It's my get to do list. Mm-hmm. I designed it and I shouldn't feel like it's an unreasonable pressure on me or an obligation or something that I'm just forced to do. No, those are things that I've chosen. I get to do those things. And it can be that I get to go to a job or I get to go to church or I get to go to the family reunion, you know, whatever, whatever those things are, we can so easily see those as, oh, gee, you know, I've got to go to work today. Thank God it's Friday. You know, oh God, it's Monday. Well, we we make choices in all those areas and we get to do those things and just changing your verbiage. That's why I can watch what somebody does and listen to what they say and know where their life is going. Okay. So I want to, I want to ask from this another, as we, as we began talking about hardship and we had those stats, Zig has a couple folks. If you've listened to many of the shows, you've heard him multiple times talk about some different research and studies where they show that top CEOs and executives and leaders are often the majority of them came from hardship and it did create strength that create different paradigms. He actually says it helped them see that it wasn't, well, actually, I think this is Tom Ziegler's paraphrasing to see that the world wasn't about them. Um, and, uh, uh, so, so we can talk about that. So on that note though, dad, to where we see that trial, of course, trial creates strength and, and can help you become stronger if it doesn't overcome you. But Pull that back to today. And when you look at your own life and some of the hardships that you had, just like Zig, we're in a different generation. Well, he was in a generation before you and, and you were still within some of that same model. We're in such a rapidly changing uh, uh, world culture, I think, especially in, in, the, in, the, in the Western culture. And few people have such hardship, it seems like. I don't know a whole lot of people who have the hardship that you did as a kid, most of us were in such an affluent culture 
and most people living here or, or listening here came from some levels of comfort, at least circumstantially, materialistically. They had a bed, they had clothes, they had video games, they had you know they didn't they, they never they never knew hunger, uh, not true hunger. Now there could be relational and emotional stuff, so I'm not I'm not talking about that. But just from the day to day needs, they didn't have to go out and work to earn a cent to keep their family afloat at a at a single digit age. So with that, when we're talking about these roots, coming back to the DNA of desire that I talked about and drive and aspiration that has to be there enough to fuel us to do the right things, do you see the culture we're at now? I'm going to call it more of a comfort-based culture or a comfort-founded culture as being a benefit or a deficit when it comes to wanting more. Because I, I think, we, again, we've got an audience here. The, the only reason they're here and listening is they do want more. And they're trying to figure out mm-hmm. how to get themselves to do it. So are are they? do they need to look and say, gosh, I've got a benefit. I should be able to do this easier and better. Or do they need to look at it and go, you know, I, I'm actually coming from a deficit because of this comfort I've come from. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. You're, you're involved in the health. No, this I'm interviewing you. You can't ask me questions. <laughs> Do you believe the adage, no pain, no gain? Absolutely. When it comes to improving your health. <clears throat> yeah. You do. Well, no, no, <laughs> not your health. Sorry. Sorry. If I'm talking from a, from an athletic aspiration and, and, and muscles and endurance and speed, then I would say yes. From a health, uh, no, not unless your pain is, is it's too painful to not eat a donut and instead have some eggs and kale. Okay. Sure. Do you? Do you think that the only way we grow spiritually is by going through hardship? No, not the only way. All right. Thank you. Okay. I don't either. Yeah, yeah I, I think you can. Now, because here, here's, here's where we go with what you're presenting here, where we can create an artificial dichotomy. Well, the only way I can really achieve greatness is to have gone through horrendous time at some point. I had a 27-year-old recently who wrote me a note for my podcast. You know, he said, I hear you guys, you know, you and Dave Ramsey and all these other guys talk about, you know, the disasters you went through. And you talk about most millionaires, you know, went broke two or three times or failed in businesses before they became really successful. He said, golly, things are going really well for me. I got a great marriage, great kids. My job is wonderful. He said, should I throw a wrench in the work somewhere so I get that disaster out of the way to really open the door to my own greatness? I laughed. I said, oh, my gosh, don't do it. Trust me, it's going to find you. It will find you, but I think it's a legitimate question. You know, do, are we growing up in it? Is it, uh, is it a blessing to grow up with too much privilege? I mean, when we talk about the work that Thomas Stanley did, the millionaire next door, Mm -hmm. the millionaire mind, you know, he saw that there weren't many second generation millionaires. Most people who are millionaires created it themselves. They came out of poverty and hard circumstances and it gave them that extra drive and that often if things are too easy, I mean, even Henry David Thoreau talked about that, you know, that golly, the kids that had it too easy, never did anything because they were never really challenged. Boy, that, that's a tough road to go down. I don't want to create more hardship in my life, hoping that I open the door to more greatness. I want to hope that I'm smart enough to take advantage of the things that are there, but take initiative even when things are good to look for what is better. We know the old adage, good is the enemy of the best. So when things are okay, it's pretty easy. Yeah, just to go from day to day, things are okay. That's why in the work that I do, 
I talked to so many people who, having lost a job or had a business fail, they were devastated. And then 18 months later, they say, you know, that's the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to take a new, fresh look at where I was, where I was going, how I was going to get there. So I want to be, I want to be the one to take the initiative and always be reevaluating where am I, what can I do better, and not wait so that hardship or disaster is the only motivation for me. Well, so then, so then, don't we land on then? Then we're on the topic of proactive or reactive, because your question: Do we, do we only go grow spiritually uh, in the midst of a hard trial? We don't only do we primarily. Well, yeah, because we're reactive, and I would have to say that myself. When do, when am I? most driven to God. Yeah. It's when things are hard. And yet I, I realized at that point that I want to be more mature so that I am as dependent upon God during the day where everything is great. And there's the struggle of my flesh to do exactly what you said, to have the initiative to do what is right and needed, even when things are good. Um, which, feels- and I think we can, I, I think we can make that choice. I mean, I hope that as we mature, we become better and better. And I'm speaking we collectively at this point, you and me and your audience, that we become better at taking the initiative at moving things forward, at growing and developing, refining who we are. You know, somebody asked me recently, you know, we're getting ready to enter a new year here. Gee, you know, do I want to double my business next year? And I said, you know, I'm not as much interested in more as I am better. Mm -hmm. I just want to better. So if, if it's, you know, being a, a dad or a husband or a papa, you know, or a neighbor. I mean, some of those things we can't quantify. It's not a matter of more that makes our life better. It's just simply, how can we make it better? Yeah, that's a good question. Looking for the new year. Would I rather have uh, double my income or double my free time? Ooh, hmm. that's, that's a... uh I think I'd have to go with, I, I'd, I'd probably err on the, on the time side, honestly. Well, there are ways to, there are ways to do that. Well, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta work for better than not just more. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's smarter. One of the things that I've done, and this is relevant to our discussion here. Uh, one of the books that impacted me greatly this year that I read is Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. Now, it's not an easy read. He's an academician, full of research, but he, he shows how, easily distracted we are. You know, you get up in the morning and somebody grabs their phone and they look at email messages, Facebook, text updates, all those kind of things. And there's not a point during the day where we're not distracted by all those things. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes about 18 minutes after a distraction to get back fully engaged in what we were doing previously. And a lot of people never have an 18 minute span in their day at all where they don't have a phone call, a text, Facebook update, or something come in. I mean, that's ludicrous. Mm -hmm. So what I've done is looked for those periods of time where I can do deep work, which I think allow me to be extremely more productive than if I'm just working on the surface level all the time. So my week at this point looks like this. On Monday, I have all my business meetings, staff meetings, and everything like that. I write three blogs on Monday. Tuesday, I have all my conference calls. So all my coaching sessions, mastermind call, coaching mastery call, all those things are done on, on Tuesdays. Wednesday morning, I do my podcast. Wednesday afternoon, I do interviews like this. Thursday and Friday, I am totally off the radar. I don't have any appointments. Those are the days when I do deep work. Uninterrupted, focused blocks of time. No interruptions. Nobody can contact me. Those are days I do deep work. 
mean, that's transformative. So am I overwhelmed with meetings, you know, committee? No, there's a lot of things that I just choose not to participate in. But even in my own business, we've made things very streamlined. So I have those big blocks of time. And that gives me the feeling of having more leisure time. Okay. So, and I know you've, you've got uh, something bumping up against this. So I'll, I'll have us end here on one, one last question. I think one last topic as we talk about drive and, and aspiration and desire and uh, what actions that we take that when it comes down to, you talked about goals. You said not, every, not everybody has, you know, is goal driven. Uh, and you said it as you and I are, and I, I probably more than the term goals, um, cause I'm not always perfect as, as well as I should be in setting out the specific goals, but I wake up every day with desire. There are just things that I want. And so I'm going to be taking actions towards those at the core. I, I end up coming back in a discussion like this to, to motive, to what is the motive? What is the thing that I want and what's going to drive me there because it feels like it's all to use an, an old farming term, uh, somewhat pissing in the wind. If we don't have and understand what that core motive is, what do we want and why with that, I see people as, as much as we talk about the five steps of this and the seven keys of this and whatever that are good things. If we don't have that, that burning desire at the core, that fire that's lit, that it just doesn't get us anywhere. And it comes back to, I think to what you talked about, we have so much knowledge and so much knowledge and so much knowledge that we never do anything with that until we establish it. I, I sometimes want to push everything off the table and say, look, what, what do you want? Uh, that's my favorite line in the notebook, you know, the, the movie, the notebook, what do you uh -huh. want? What do you want that, that understanding that, and then why, why do you want it without that motive? It feels it feels, everything feels somewhat, uh, uh purposeless, uh, or, or benign, I should say, is it really going to take root? Uh, whether we're talking about the personal development industry here, health and wellness, uh, I still feel like what we come back to at the end of the day is the same thing. How can we inspire people to do what they need to do? How can I inspire myself to do what I need to do to get the things that I truly want? Is that a, is that a fair root to boil down to. Absolutely. I recently had a group of high achievers here at the sanctuary where our focus for the entire day was courage. Mm. And we had some amazing examples of courage, but courage and effort are not enough. There has to be purpose that mm. shapes that. Otherwise it's just, just an exertion. I mean, that doesn't really mean anything. There has to be a clear purpose. One of the guys I had come in was Phil Theodore. Phil Theodore, in January and February, rode a boat, R-O-W-E-D, across the Atlantic, 3,000 miles. Oh, wow. Rowing 18 hours a day, some horrendous stories, you know, 40-foot waves. In a boat now, when you're rowing, you don't have big sides that are protecting you. You're right down on the water mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. But he rowed across there. Now, why did he do that? Was it I just don't for know. Bragging rights? I, that's that's my nightmare right there. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> well, he he actually got thrown out, and get being thrown out, uh, he was thrown out. It was a night with a new moon, so absolutely black, pitch black. And as soon as you hit the water, you really can't determine which is up and down. You lose your sense of direction. Now he's tethered to the boat. 
because without that, it'd be instant gone. There'd be no way. He was tethered and ultimately did get back in the boat, but got some amazing stories. Here's the deal. He didn't do that just for bragging rights. He is passionate about health and nutrition for kids and sees what's happening to the next generation, what they're eating, what it's doing to their health and vitality and mental acuity and all of that. Him having rowed a boat across the Atlantic, all that raw courage and effort opens any door he wants to go through. You can show up at Microsoft and tell the CEO, hey, there's some dude here. You know, he rowed a boat across the Atlantic 3,000 miles. Show him in. It opens any door. He has raised millions of dollars because that experience lets him get in front of people with influence and he can direct it to the thing that he cares most about. Purpose. That's we do have to have that. Absolutely. We have to have that. We have to know what is it that is our purpose. You know, with me, I look at the things that I'm doing, and it it doesn't excite me to just have more, you know. I mean, more books, more courses, more whatever. But what does excite me are the testimonials that I get from people, the thank you notes, the things that we hear from people about how their life lives have been transformed. That motivates me. I want to increase that impact. I want to increase the ability to help more people see the opportunities, believe in their own potential, and harness that to release the very best that God has put in them. Boy, that's a strong driving purpose for me. That'll keep me going. Uh, That is purpose. Yeah, it's not a word that I even used in my preface to that question, but um, that... uh, yeah, how how incredibly foundational, and yet it seems to be one of those pieces like we talk about in our upbringing and kids' upbringing. We go to school, we do we do the the grind of life. When does that ever get put in front of somebody to figure out what is your purpose? That's not that's not school one hundred and one and life one hundred and one. Uh, I had the gift of you bringing that to me as a kid. Um, Maybe maybe the most valuable thing that you did give to me along with faith. Uh, but that is something that's missing. So maybe, folks, there is your your seven steps and your five keys that here we can talk through so much. But without that purpose, without understanding what yours is, without caring to pursue that, there's a lot of positive entertainment that's great. And we're part of that industry right here. Um, but there's your starting point. And your launching pad. I'd have to say, Dad, that's probably one of the things I'm most grateful for. I think if I fear anything, it's boredom. Uh, wow. Of which I can't imagine having in the life I've, I've created. Thank goodness. But oh my goodness, if anything, I would just rather clone myself so I can pursue more purposes. Um, man, I could do this oh, all that, day with you. Well, it's always fun. My gosh. My gosh, always a pleasure just to unpack these real life kind of challenges. Yes. But uh, the challenges are opportunities. Yeah. And I'm totally in Zig's camp when it comes to reframing how we describe things yeah. so that we see them as opportunities, not as obstacles. Yes. Those obstacles, you know, when we figure out a way around them, they usually lead us to a better opportunity, better path. And we don't want to wish calamity on ourselves Mm -hmm. or anybody, but when it comes, we still have to, I, we have to talk about, this is something I, I hear from our friend, Gail Hyatt, Michael Hyatt's wife. 
you know, when something bad happens, what does this make possible? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've used that so many times in the last few years, something unexpected happened. What does this make possible? Mm -hmm. Yep. So you have a flat tire. What does this make possible? (laughs) And if you approach it with your eyes open in that way, it's amazing the good things that can come out of things that we initially saw as unwelcome and unexpected. Well, there you go there. And back to our victim or personal responsibility. What does this make possible? Uh, With that, thank you. Thanks for giving your time and your experience and your purpose to me and to the audience today. And folks, you can, of course, find him again at 48days.com for everything that he's got going on there. And uh, 48days.com slash 2017. You can see the latest and greatest offerings. Uh, But again, as you're listening to this podcast, just uh, hit in there to whatever platform you're using, iTunes or Stitchers, go to the 48 day, or just type in 48 days. You'll come to it. It's one of the longest running top ranked business podcasts there is. And uh, chime in because if you heard something you enjoyed here, you'll hear much more of it there today. Dad, thanks uh, for being here and sharing what you do. Man, always a pleasure to not only just catch up and talk with you and share ideas, see where you are in your own life path, but to hopefully bring encouragement to your audience, Kevin. You have. Folks, thanks for being here where we can inspire our true performance together. We'll talk with you in the next show.